Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. KCC Konnichiwa, my name is Jan Workman, and I am in Fukuoka, Japan. My family's honored to be supported by all of you as we work with God to bring the gospel to the Japanese people. Thank you for letting me read God's word to you today. Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Well, thanks for doing our scripture reading, Jan. It's great to see you. Hope you can come back and visit us here on Oahu soon. Well, today, my brothers and sisters, I believe that the Lord has a word for each of us. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we seek him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship and adore you. And Lord, we are so grateful for your written word that we can know you more and that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. Jesus, we thank you that you became the Word incarnate and that we can truly know you. God, would you move in each of our lives today through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you speak through me as your vessel, words that are true and right, that we would be men and women that are changed by the power of your Spirit by spending time in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Government overreach. Solo beach walks, shelter in place, masks, no singing in church, no going to church, zooming into church, civil disobedience, Capitol Hill autonomous zone, police brutality, blackout Tuesday, government bailouts, government elections, forced COVID vaccinations. Do any of these phrases stir anything emotionally in you? Our society has so many hot topic buttons right now. And what if I told you that I participated in one of the five protests here in Hawaii to end the lockdown? Would you keep listening to my sermon? Or on the other hand, what if I told you that I had written the mayor a letter saying, Mayor Caldwell, would you please increase the restrictions because I'm a concerned citizen. I care for our kapuna. We need to regulate this even more. Would you still listen to my sermon? You see, tensions are high. And when tensions get high, people are kind of like rubber bands, and they stretch and they snap. So how are you handling the tensions? How are you handling the disagreements between yourself and your loved ones between other Christians when you don't necessarily see eye to eye? When someone thinks differently than you, how do you respond? You see, today we're in Romans chapter 14, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome about how to respond when tensions are high because Christians are believing different things about how to worship the Lord. I'm going to give you a little background on the Roman church before we dive into this passage so we can better understand what's going on. The Roman church began uh, when, when some Jews from Rome went to Jerusalem for the first Pentecost after Jesus ascended. And those Jews heard the Apostle Peter's sermon, and they were cut to the quick. They repented, and they were baptized, and they became followers of Jesus. 
And they went back to Rome to start Christian churches there. Yet they were still Jewish in their culture. And so the churches that they began looked very Jewish. You see, the Jews, they grew up honoring God by following the Old Testament law, the 613 commandments set out in the Old Testament. And they, these laws were, were laws regarding food and which foods they could eat and couldn't eat. They can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. They can't eat pork. And they, they must celebrate certain days as holy unto the Lord and other days as ordinary. But then a lot of other people in Rome wanted to also follow Jesus and become Christians. And so they went to their local church and these local churches were very Jewish. And so they began worshiping God, began worshiping Jesus in a very Jewish paradigm sort of way, honoring these laws. And this is how the church in Rome lasted for about 15 years until 49 AD when the Roman emperor Claudius made an edict that forced all Jewish racial people out of Rome and left only Gentiles. It didn't matter if your religion was Christian. If you had Jewish blood, you had to leave. And so now, all of a sudden, the church in Rome is full of Gentiles, and the leaders of the church are Gentiles. And they didn't grow up following the Mosaic Law, and so they didn't see the purpose in keeping it. And so they started doing things like eating meat, because Jesus had allowed them to in Mark chapter 7. And they didn't grow up celebrating the Jewish holy days, and so they didn't follow those either. They celebrated every day as holy unto the Lord. And this lasted for about five, six years until Emperor Claudius died and his edict with them, and then the Jews came back because they were now allowed, and they go knocking on their old church and say, hey, your leaders are back, let's keep doing church. But they were aghast because their church no longer looked Jewish. It looked very Gentile. And they were eating meat and celebrating different holy days. And the Jews were like, hey, Gentile church, you're in sin. We have to follow the Moses law. And then these Gentile leaders were saying, hey, we're free to eat whatever we want. That's what Jesus said. We can, we can celebrate any day as holy unto the Lord. And so you have two groups of Christians both wanting to worship Jesus, both having biblical evidence saying this is the path to do it, but they were in conflict. When tensions get high between Christians over how to live out your life, what are you to do? You're to read Romans 14, and that's why Paul wrote it to those Romans. So let's do the same. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, and let's start out in verse 1. Romans 14, verse 1, Paul is speaking to the church, and he says this, "'Except the one whose faith is weak,' without quarreling over disputable matters. Paul says, look guys, there are going to be differences of opinions, and that's understandable. That is okay. There are gray zones in the Christian life. There's matters that aren't necessarily black and white because it's a matter of preference. So don't fight over these things. You know, I, uh, I read an article from the mid-1900s, and it was discussing church conflict that they were wrestling through in my, my grandparents' generation. And the church of Jesus was wrestling with questions like, is it okay to work on Sunday? Is it, is it sinful to watch a football game on Sunday because you're making the football players work? Is it holy to play the electric guitar on a worship band? Or is the pipe organ 
the only worshipful instrument. What about going to the theater? Is that a place of sin, or did Christians have the freedom to do that? They were struggling with different issues than we face today. So let's look at what Paul says in verse, verse 2. Romans 14, verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. So Paul here is calling the Jews who don't eat meat, he's calling them the weaker brothers because they aren't living out their freedom to eat meat in Christ. You see, when Jesus was here, he had released the Jews to be able to eat meat. And the Jews, they are deciding, no, we're not going to. Now, I'll be honest, it's kind of easy for me and maybe for you to scoff at these Jews. Say, hey, what's the big deal? It's a pork chop. It's bacon. Eat it. But let's put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. And let's, let's remember that these Jewish people were given this law 1,300 years earlier. And so for 1,300 years, you have a culture centered around not eating meat. You have a culture centered around honoring these certain days as holy unto the Lord as a way to worship God for 1,300 years. And now in our text, we're only a couple decades into Jesus releasing them to be able to meet, eat meat, but are they going to want to? It takes time for a culture to change after 1,300 years. You know, I really like peanut butter. I like any kind of peanut butter, to be honest. I like the kind you have to mix. I like it chunky. I like it smooth. I just like peanut butter. And when I am listening in a class and learning, I like to munch on things, including peanut butter. So a number of years ago, my wife and I were at a missionary organization called YWAM, and we were in a class, and I did what I always do. I grabbed my jar of peanut butter, I opened it, and I started eating peanut butter as we were learning. Well, the next day, before class started, my friend comes over, and he says, Hey, Pete, remember yesterday when, uh, when we were in class and you opened up that can of peanut butter? I was like, Yeah, I can't wait to do it again to today. He goes, Yeah, when you did that, even though I was sitting on the other side of the room, my throat started closing up, and I had to leave. And I was like, Oh, sorry about that. Glad you told me. And he said, Yeah, I'm anaphylactic. I, I, I would die if I would eat peanut butter. I was like, okay, I won't. I won't eat peanut butter today. Thanks for letting me know. Now imagine this friend who had been told from probably when he was a young kid, hey, if you eat peanut butter, you're going to die. And every time he smelled peanuts, he felt the feeling of death on his throat. But imagine he went to an annual doctor's appointment and doctor did an allergy test on him and said, oh, hey, look, the results came back. You are no longer allergic to peanuts. Woohoo! You can eat peanuts now, and this doctor also likes peanut butter, so he reached into his drawer and made him a peanut butter sandwich and said, here, celebrate, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do you think my friend is going to say, woohoo, let me eat that sandwich? After a lifetime of being conditioned that peanut butter was death to him? Uh, maybe not. But in the same way, these Jews, even though maybe they cognitively knew they could eat meat, for 1,300 years in their culture, they were being told that that is dishonoring to God. And they wanted to honor Jesus above anything. So let's give them a little bit of break here. Maybe that's why they didn't jump on eating meat. This is what Paul says about that. Romans 14, verse 6. Would you read it with me? Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. 
And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. So whether a Christian was eating meat or not eating meat, they were doing it unto the Lord as an act of worship. And that brings us to our first principle this morning. When faced with a disagreement, be convinced of your actions. Be convinced of your actions. If you're making a decision, do so with the power of the Holy Spirit guiding you. Know your Bible verses why. Remember those words that God gave you in prayer as to why you are doing this thing as an act of worship. Don't just read a blog or watch a YouTube. Truly be convinced of your actions. Now, you may have noticed, or maybe your lack of noticing says it all, but I don't have any tattoos on my whole body. We could go to the beach and you wouldn't see a single tattoo on me. But I think tattoos are cool. And about four years ago, I was really considering getting one. Well, I, I was thinking, what would I get? And I'd probably put it on my shoulder blade. I'd probably get something really cool. I was thinking of my wife's face or maybe like knives or something. And, and so I was thinking about that right here. And one day, it was a hot, sunny afternoon, but I had a flat tire. And so I let, walked out of my apartment and went down to my bike. And I was working on my bike without a shirt on. Well, a couple minutes into fixing my flat tire, my 10-year-old neighbor, Chloe, walks over and she goes, oh, hey, Uncle Pete, can I help you fix your bike? Sure, Chloe. So we talked for 10, 15 minutes. You see, I had been sharing Jesus with Chloe and her family. But as she walked over, I was so grateful that I hadn't yet gotten a tattoo on my shoulder because Chloe is a Mormon. And if you know Mormons, they believe that getting a tattoo is sin according that their body is a temple of God and they don't want to, to adorn the, God's temple, that that would be a sin. And so as I was fixing my bike, talking with Chloe, I was so grateful that I didn't have a tattoo. And in that moment, I decided, because of Chloe, I am not going to get this tattoo. You see, Romans 4, 14, 13, Paul says this, verse 13. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And that tattoo would have been a stumbling block to Chloe. And I may have undid the work that God was doing in her life. Verse 15 says this, If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So for the sake of Christ... For the sake of loving Chloe, I decided not to get a tattoo that year, and I still don't have one. So at the same time, though, I know millions, well, I don't know personally, but I know that there are millions of Christians around the world who have gotten a tattoo for the sake of sharing the gospel. So even though there's this tension and, and sometimes disagreement in the Christian faith over whether a tattoo is holy or it isn't, whichever your actions may be, be convinced of your actions, that they're holy and that they're biblical. But at the same time, be considerate of others. And that leads us to the rest of our first principle. Be convinced of your actions and be considerate of others. Be considerate of others. If someone thinks differently than you, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. Try to understand their, their point of view as well. You see, even though four years ago I became convinced at my choice of not getting a tattoo, one Sunday after church right here in the sanctuary, my wife comes over to me and with loving, endearing eyes, and she was promising to give me cookie dough ice cream for dinner, and, and her undying love, she comes to me and says, Hey, Pete, uh, 
I, I kind of want to get a tattoo. And I was like, oh, my dear, like, that's really loving and kind that you want to get a tattoo of my name with a heart around it, but you don't have to do that. I know you love me. And she goes, no, Pete, it's not about you. It's about that sermon we just heard on Proverbs 31. Myself and about a dozen other women want to get a tattoo of that passage so we can remember our identity in Christ. And I was like, well, what about my convictions? And so my wife and I had to talk it through. We had to wrestle with that. We even got on the phone and called some of our family members who have strong convictions about tattoos. And after working through that for a few weeks, maybe even a month, my wife and 12 other women went to the tattoo shop and they each got a tattoo. And this is the part where I usually cry as I'm thinking about it, so I'm I'm glad I'm not crying right now, but my wife got the most beautiful tattoo I could ever imagine on a woman. It's on her left shoulder blade, and it's the Hebrew words, I set, I yell. A virtuous woman, a woman of valor. And it comes from Proverbs 31. And this beautiful tattoo that my wife has is a visible reminder to my wife, to myself, to our kids, to the 12 women and their families that all got this tattoo, that these are women forever marked by the power of the gospel and changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And tons of conversations have happened because of these tattoos to the the glory of God, despite my convictions being different. Now, it would have been really easy for me to put my foot down and say, you know what, Liz, you're not getting this tattoo. It would have been easy for my wife to say, you know what, Pete, I'm going to get it anyway. And there could have been a division, a wedge between my wife and I. But instead, we did the hard work and something beautiful came out of it. Paul puts it this way in Romans 14, verse 19. Would you read it with me? Paul says, Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort. And that word, make every effort, is the Greek word, dioko. Dioko. And it could also be translated, pursue. But most often when it's used in Scripture, it's used, it's translated as the word, persecute. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus says to Saul on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you diokoing me? Why are you persecuting me? It's this word that's filled with deep, intense passion of pursuit that you will go after no matter what. And now, just 20 years after, Jesus says to Saul, whose name has now been redeemed to Paul, Paul is using the same word and he's redeeming it. He's saying, no longer am I dioko against Jesus, but let's all, as brothers and sisters, dioko for peace. Let's pursue peace until we find it. Let's make every effort for peace with one another. You know, I read a quote when studying for this passage by an unknown author. And to be honest, when I say an unknown author, that's just because I clicked out of the website a little too soon before I found the author's name. So if this is your quote, I thank you for it. You get all the credits. Um, But this is the quote. It says, Many wish for peace. Talk loudly for it. But do not follow the things that make for peace. I'm going to tell you a secret right now. This is the part where you can lean up on your couch and get a little closer. It's a secret. I'll speak a little softer. It's easy to get along with people that you like. It's easy to get along with people that you agree with. And it's easy to get along with people that you don't know very well. Those things don't require dioko. It doesn't require hardly anything of you. 
It's, it's easy to make peace with your neighbor that you wave at once a day. It's easy for you to make peace with your friend on the paddling team or, or someone you share a hobby with, somebody that thinks like you. But what about your rebellious son? How are you going to dioko for peace with him? Or your uncaring husband or your rude wife? What about your boss that's running the company differently than you would? What about your Christian friend who works in an environment where cussing is the normal way of speaking and your friend cusses? Are you judging him? What about your Christian friend who smokes cigarettes or eats at McDonald's? Are you being considerate of their actions? What about the youth group student who starts her prayer with, Hey God, what's up? Or the person who you invite over for dinner, but they say they can't come because their COVID convictions are differently than yours. You may wish for peace. You may talk loudly for it. But are you following the things that make for peace? So what does making peace require? How do you and I dioko for peace? That brings us to our second and our last principle in today's passage. To make peace, humble yourself and honor others. Humble yourself and honor others. Martin Luther uh, put it like this when talking about how to humble yourself and honor others. He said, a Christian man is the most free of all. He is subject to no one. But yet the Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all. Subject to all. When making peace, sometimes you have to get rid of your so-called rights. Humble yourself and honor another. Because as Christians, we have full liberty and we have freedom in Christ. Yet as Christians, we are to be crucified with Christ and to no longer live, but to let Christ live within us. And we know how Christ lived because Paul told us how he lived in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8. And those of you that like big theological words, this portion of Scripture is is called the kenosis of Christ, the the emptying of Christ. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus gave up the ultimate right. Jesus gave up deity to become human, and a humble human at that. And this humble human gave up the most basic of human rights, the the right to life. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is diokoing for peace. Jesus dioko to make peace with you and me. And if Jesus could give up infinite amount of rights, can you and I not also give up our manini, our teeny tiny little rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of loving one another? So I gotta be honest, guys. Our our history as followers of Jesus isn't that great. 
If you've done any reading on church history, you'll see that it's full of strife, bickering, arguing, even war. In 1054, we have the great schism of the church. And what, what happened was there was one unified church for about a thousand years. And then in 1054, it, they separated and became the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. And that schism resulted in bloodshed. About 500 years later, the Roman Catholic Church, it split and it became the Protestant Church and the Roman Catholic Church. And then the Protestant Church had all these little groups popping off of it and they didn't, they didn't agree with how to worship God and they started fighting each other. And then in 1618, the Thirty Years' War started and it was one of the bloodiest battles of all time with over 8 million dead. And it was the Roman Catholics against the Protestants. Christians killing Christians for the sake of Christ. How disgusting. And now it's 2020, and it's our chance. It's our chance as a generation of the church to say, you know what, we are not going to follow in the path of our ancestors. We are not going to quarrel as Christians. We are going to make every effort. We are going to dioko to have peace with one another so that we can change this narrative, so that we can share the gospel with the world. Because even though we don't necessarily shoot each other anymore, which I'm very grateful as Christians, but sometimes I see it still happening with the, the keyboard warriors who go onto a Facebook comment and they, they blast the church for, for how they're handling the COVID and the government regulations. Or maybe they, they say, oh, this church is doing ministry the right way, but this church, how they reach out, mm, that's not the holy way. Man, what if instead we honored each other and humbled ourselves and said there is room in the gospel to express our faith differently? You see, instead of fighting over disputable differences, let's realize that God has made a world full of diversity and color, and he loves it when people express their worship for him in different ways. I think Jesus loves it when the Catholic priest wears his robe, and they have incense going at the Mass and all these uh, stained glass windows, and they, they honor God for his transcendence and how, how holy other than us he is. And we are reminded of how big God is because of the way that the Catholic worships. And I think that God is so pleased when the Protestant high school youth grouper addresses God with, hey God, what's up? And, and we see God's eminence, his, his closeness, that we can call him Abba, Father. I think that that's beautiful. Brothers and sisters, we must dioko for peace. And if I was preaching in youth group right now, I'd probably say something like, we got to be Dioko dudes. But since I'm preaching at big church, I'll say, we have to be pursuers of peace. So let's celebrate our diversity in the unity of Christ. I'm going to close our sermon today with the verse that my friend Jan read in Romans 15, verse 7. It says this, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Your heads bowed, eyes closed, private moment between you and the Lord. Maybe you're, you're sitting there and you heard the sermon and you realize that Jesus has dioko to have peace with you, but you have never accepted the peace of Jesus in your life. 
Would you right now call out to him, say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I believe in you. Would you forgive me for the things I've done wrong? And Christian, if right now you're feeling the conviction of the Lord that maybe there's a brother or a sister that you need a dioko for peace, would you pray something like this? Say, Jesus, you gave it all up for me. Help me to give it all up for you and a dioko for peace with my brother or sister. Lord, would you let us be changed by you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.